Out of this delight springs the toy theater. There it is, with its familiar proscenium, and ladies in feathers in the boxes, and all its attendant occupation with paste and glue and gum, and watercolors in the getting up of the miller and his men, and Elizabeth, or the exile of Siberia. In spite of a few besetting accidents and failures, particularly an unreasonable disposition in the respectable Kelmar and some others, to become faint in the legs and double up at exciting points of the drama, a teeming world of fancies so suggestive and all-embracing that, far below it on my Christmas tree, I see dark, dirty, real theaters in the daytime, adorned with these associations as with the freshest garlands of the rarest flowers, and charming me yet. But hark, the weights are playing, and they break my childish sleep. What images do I associate with the Christmas music as I see them set forth on the Christmas tree? known before all others, keeping far apart from all the others, they gather round my little bed, an angel speaking to a group of shepherds in a field, some travelers with eyes uplifted, following a star, a baby in a manger, a child in a spacious temple, talking with grave men, a solemn figure, with a mild and beautiful face, raising a dead girl by the hand, again near a city gate, calling back to the son of a widow on his bier to life. A crowd of people looking through the opened roof of a chamber where he sits and letting down a sick person on a bed with ropes, the same in a tempest, walking on the water to a ship, again on a seashore, teaching a great multitude, again with a child upon his knee, and other children round, again restoring sight to the blind, speech to the dumb, hearing to the deaf, health to the sick, strength to the lame, knowledge to the ignorant, again, dying upon a cross, watched by armed soldiers, a thick darkness coming on, the earth beginning to shake, and only one voice heard, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Still, on the lower and mature branches of the tree, Christmas associations cluster thick, school books shut up, Ovid and Virgil silenced, the rule of three, with its cool, impertinent inquiries, long disposed of, Terence and Plautus acted no more, in an arena of huddled desks and forms, all chipped and notched and inked, cricket bats. Stumps and balls left higher up, 
with the smell of trodden grass and the softened noise of shouts in the evening air. The tree is still fresh, still gay. If I no more come home at Christmas time, there will be boys and girls, thank heaven, while the world lasts, and they do. Yonder they dance and play upon the branches of my tree. God bless them, merrily, and my heart dances and plays too. And I do come home at Christmas, we all do, or we all should. We all come home, or ought to come home, for a short holiday. The longer the better, from the great boarding school, where we are forever working at our arithmetical slates, to take and give a rest. As to going a-visiting, where can we not go, if we will? Where have we not been, when we would, starting our fancy from our Christmas tree? Away into the winter prospect, there are many such upon the tree. On, by low-lying misty grounds, through fens and fogs, up long hills, winding dark, as caverns between thick plantations, almost shutting out the sparkling stars. So, out on broad heights, until we stop at last, with sudden silence at an avenue. The gate bell has a deep, half-awful sound in the frosty air. The gate swings open on its hinges, and, as we drive up to a great house, the glancing lights grow larger in the windows, and the opposing rows of trees seem to fall solemnly back on either side to give us place. At intervals, all day, a frightened hare has shot across the whitened turf, or the distant clatter of a herd of deer trampling the hard frost has, for the minute, crushed the silence too. Their watchful eyes beneath the fern may be shining now, if we could see them like the icy dewdrops on the leaves. But they are still, and all is still, and so the lights growing larger and the trees falling back before us and closing up again behind us as if to forbid retreat. We come to the house. There is probably a smell of roasted chestnuts and other good comfortable things all the time, for we are telling winter stories, ghost stories, or, more shame for us, round the Christmas fire, and we have never stirred, except to draw a little nearer to it. But no matter for that. We came to the house, and it is an old house, full of great chimneys where wood is burnt on ancient dogs upon the hearth, and grim portraits, some of them with grim legends too, lower distrustfully from the oaken panels of the walls. We are a middle-aged nobleman 
and we make a generous supper with our host and hostess and their guests. It being Christmas time and the old house full of company, and then we go to bed. Our room is a very old room. It is hung with tapestry. We don't like the portrait of a cavalier in green over the fireplace. There are great black beams in the ceiling, and there is a great black bedstead, supported at foot by two great black figures, who seem to have come off a couple of tombs in the old baronial church in the park, for our particular accommodation. But we are not a superstitious nobleman, and we don't mind. Well, we dismiss our servant, lock the door, and sit before the fire in our dressing gown, musing about a great many things. At length, we go to bed. Well, we can't sleep. We toss and tumble and can't sleep. The embers on the hearth burn fitfully and make the room look ghostly. We can't help peeping out over the counterplane. And the two black figures and the cavalier, that wicked-looking cavalier in green. In the flickering light, they seem to advance and retire, which, though we are not by any means a superstitious nobleman, is not agreeable. Well, we get nervous, more and more nervous. We say, this is very foolish, but we can't stand this. We'll pretend to be ill and knock up somebody. Well, we are just going to do it. When the locked door opens and there comes in a young woman, deadly pale and with long, fair hair, who glides to the fire and sits down in the chair we have left there, wringing her hands. Then we notice that her clothes are wet, our tongue cleaves to the roof of our mouth, and we can't speak. But we observe her accurately. Her clothes are wet, her long hair is dabbed with moist mud. She is dressed in the fashion of two hundred years ago, and she has at her girdle a bunch of rusty keys.